From the Pardis Institute of Jewish Studies, this is Pardis from Jerusalem. I'm Larry Kluger, a Pardis alum. This week, Shalach. This week, Rob Rachel Berkowitz discusses Shalach. Rob Berkowitz has produced a handout that you can use. Download it from elmad, elmad.pardis.org. Rav Rachel Berkowitz is a senior member of the Pardis faculty. And now, Rav Rachel Berkowitz. This week's Parsha is Parsha Shlach. Towards the end of the Parsha, very close to the end, we have the section that's probably familiar to many of you as a section from Kriyat Shema, from the Shema, that discusses the mitzvah of Tzitzit. In Bamidbar Perak Tetvav, Numbers 15, in verse 37, Lamed Zion, it says, Vayomer Hashem al-Moshel le'mor, Zabayar el-Bnei Yisrael v'amarta alehem, Right, that God speaks to Moshe and Moshe tells the children of Israel, you should make fringes, you should make tzitzit on the corner of your garments. And this is going to be Lidortam. It's going to be throughout the ages. And each of the tzitzit is going to have a special blue chelet um, fringe which we could give a whole class on, but that's not what I'm going to focus on right now. But I want to focus on the next verse, where it says, Vayalachem l'tzitzit, uri'item otau, uzartem et kol mitzvot Hashem, v'asitem otam, v'lo tatur acharei levavchem, v'acharei inechem, asher tem zonim achareihem. Right? And it shall be for you a fringe, and you're going to look at it, you're going to see this, and you're going to remember all the mitzvot that Hashem has done, and you're not going to taturu, you're not going to follow or go after your hearts and after your eyes, which cause you to be zonim, to have a word that is linked to sexuality, that you, the English here of the JPS says, have, be lustful. Right, a zona is a type of prostitute in some way that uh, that leads you sexually astray in some way, your eyes and your heart. So the tzitzit are a reminder of mitzvot, and they also sort of do a preventative act from going after some desires that you might have in your heart and your eyes by looking at the world that are perceived to be um, inappropriate. And says, Laman tiskaru vasitim akomitsotai vayitim kruchim lelochechem. And repeats the idea of remembering and that you're going to do God's commandments. And then it says, and you're going to be kadosh, you're going to be holy for your God. Um, here too, the idea of kadushah, many times in rabbinic literature, um, particularly the verse that's in Vayikra, vikadoshim to you. Seem, is usually linked to a certain understanding of holiness of sexuality. So we have zonim that is somehow negative type of sexuality and kiddoshim that is some type of sanctity that um, the question is, how does one have sanctity in sexuality or how does one be kadosh? And then the pasuk at the end, which is why possibly one of the reasons why this ends the unit for Right? Twice this pasuk has a nice bookend. It opens by saying, I am your God. It ends by saying, I am your God. And in the middle, it defines the relationship between the Jewish people and the divine by saying, I'm the God that took you out of Mitzrayim. 
Rashi on this patsuk, on the phrase that we shouldn't like follow or wander, lo taturu, after our heart says, he explains that the word taturu comes from the phrase mitur ha'aretz, like mentioned um, with earlier um, in the parsha about the spies at the beginning of the parsha. We probably could give an interesting shear comparing the beginning and the end of the parsha, but once again, that's for another time. And he says, The heart and the eyes are the spies of the body, and they're the agents for, for transgression. Um, Quote the Midrash from Tanhuma that the, the eye sees and the lave, the heart uh, covets, desires, and then the goof, then the body acts and does a transgression. And so there's an understanding that human beings have a tendency to want to covet things outside them that maybe they shouldn't or have certain desires that maybe they shouldn't and that the tzitzit somehow are a reminder not to do this and a protector to direct us towards mitzvot. So um, I want to focus on a very interesting story that appears in the Talmud in Menachot about tzitzit that sort of is a reflection on the psukim, even though they don't directly all the time quote the psukim. Um, it's a very interesting story. It's quite long. So if you have a moment to be able to pause the podcast and read it through yourself once before I go through it, I recommend that. Or afterwards, maybe on Shabbat, if you have time to go over it, because it's a story that you can mine many, many different interesting ideas from. It says the following. Tanya. This is source number three on the source sheet. I'm a Rabbi Natan. He says, there isn't a mitzvah, um, even a smallest one that's written in the Torah, that doesn't give us some type of reward in this world. And once I know that we're getting reward in this world, I don't even know how much reward you're going to get in the, in the next world, Right assuming that will be even greater. And then he brings an example. He says, Go and learn from the mitzvah of tzitzit. He's going to show how this is true, that one can receive reward in this world for it. And now he tells a story. This is a story, an event, an occurrence about one man and he was particularly careful about the mitzvah of tzitzit. So this is an interesting statement already at the beginning. What does it mean that he was particularly careful? Is it that he loves tzitzit so much, so he like bought himself expensive ones? Is it that he doesn't keep so many mitzvot, but this is the one he keeps? Is it that he knows that maybe he has a problem of his eyes straying, so he has to be particularly vigilant about this? I'm going to suggest that's where it's going when you hear the next line, right? So we now know there's a man who's particularly careful about the mitzvah of tzitzit. I assume you're going to be very surprised by what we're going to tell you about him next, because I think if I mentioned to you someone who's really careful about the mitzvah of tzitzit, you wouldn't say that the next thing you heard is, Shema sheish zonah hayam. This guy heard that there was a zona, some type of woman who sells her body for 
uh, money um, in the far reaches by the sea, like far off from him. Um, and not only that, but she charges 400 gold coins as her payment. So she is very, 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 very expensive. And I assume that what one hears about her being very, very expensive is that she's well worth it, that you're getting a, something very special in the encounter. So what does he do? She He sends her the down payment, pays up front 400 gold coins, and he gets himself a date when the time comes, he goes and he sits outside her door. So here's a person that based on, he's never seen her. He pays a ton of money. He travels incredibly far away. He waits for whatever time. And when he shows up, he is doesn't seem to be getting like the royal treatment. He's just sitting outside the door. And what happens? The Her maidservant is going to come out. So... This person, now I'm beginning to wonder, is the reason he's so um, careful about tzitzit? And what does it mean to be careful? He's careful to wear them, but he's forgotten the meaning behind them? Because it sounds like his heart, not even his eyes, because he's never laid eyes on a woman yet, just his heart is lusting over the image of the imagination of this infamous zona that must be so incredible. Um then what happens? Nichnasa shifatav amrala. Her, his maid, her, the woman's maid servant comes out and and sees him there. And so then she must she reports back to the the the, the woman. She says, "Oto adam The guy's here, right? He doesn't have a name. He she just you know that one who sent ahead the four hundred gold without even seeing you, like I. Sounds like they're a little bit surprised by this idea, um, and he's—it doesn't seem like a normative behavior because she refers to him that way, and then we know exactly who the person is. Um, he's here, and so the the woman, uh, the the woman he's come to see says, "Yikanes," and he goes in. Nechmas. I don't know if she says to him, "Come in," or she tells it through the maid servant. It sounds a little bit possibly through the maid servant. And then we are described the scene. He walks into a room in which there are seven beds, six of them of, of silver and one of gold. It's like a huge bunk bed where... Um, and with, with ladders in between them, each one made of silver and then leading to the top that's of gold. So already when you hear this imagery, right, of, of six plus the pinnacle one, right? I, I don't know if we're supposed to think of Shabbat, but we're supposed to think of like the heights, the extreme, you know, six is nature, seven is, is outside of nature. This is, this is supposed to be something amazing, right? It's, it's the height of his fantasy. He's going to climb up and up and up and up and up. And what is he going to get on the top, right? And she goes up. And she goes up and she's sitting on this top seventh tier in splendor of a gold uh, bed and she's completely naked, right? And this is the scene. This this sounds like it's living up to the whatever must be the fantasy that he has, the height of the fantasy that he had and that he said the 400 gold pieces for. 
He also goes up to sit negative next to her, facing her, opposite her. I don't know if there's a play on Breshit of the Ezer Kinegdo, the, the partner, but uh, this is a partner in, in, in a different sort of story than, than Adam and Chava. Um, and what happens? What happens? Um, the four corners of his tzitzit come and slap him, smack him in the face. So I don't know if it's 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 in the middle of while he's climbing or he's at the top, right? I don't know if we're supposed to imagine this as like magical tzitzit that he already took off because he's naked and they were on the floor and then they float up. Or if he is like climbing up the ladder and like, you know, tearing off his clothes as fast as he can. You're missing me like waving my hands to tear off his clothes as fast as he can um, to get naked with her on the top. And then like the last garment is the tzitzit. So when he tears them off, they hit him in his face. Or I don't know if this is like metaphorical, the, the idea of tzitzit hits him in his face, but he gets slapped in the face and um, and seemingly that wakes him up out of this fantasy and shock. And he, he immediately drops down and, and he and he sits on the karka. He's now sitting on the floor. So he was climbing up to these incredible heights and now he's pushed back down on the floor. And she too, suddenly she's like, where's the client? What's going on? She too drops down um, to the floor. Both of them, I assume, quite deflated. And and now she speaks to him. And this is an interesting because up until now, there hasn't been much conversation. It is basically, I don't know, his lust for the sex act, her greed for the money. I'm not sure. Um, uh, but there hasn't been much conversation. And this is the first time she sort of directly speaks to him. And she says, um, she says, Gapasha Romi, Shani Menikicha. She she swears like she takes an oath, and here she takes the oath in the name of the capital of Rome, or possibly in some type of idolatry and idol worship in Rome. And she says, "I'm not letting you leave until you tell me what type of moon, what type of defect you saw in me." And here now we have the word right, what your eyes see, um, and so. He, he didn't even go at first based on what his eyes saw. Maybe it was just what his heart desired. But she assumes that it's all about the seeing. So he, she assumes that he saw her, found something lacking, and that's why he's not interested anymore. Because he, she understands that she's being seen solely as a sex object in some way. He responds, and he responds to Avodah, right? He responds... I'm going to swear by the Beit Hamidash, by the service of the divine. And already you see some juxtaposition here of her being in the world of Rome and him Ke'ilu, being in the world of the, the divine. Maybe now that the tzitzit have slapped him in the face, he's like that. Um, and he says, I've never in my life seen anyone as beautiful as you. So what's the problem, right? What's the problem? The problem is, Ella mitzvah achad tzivinu Hashem alokeinu but there's this one mitzvah that God has commanded us, and here it's interesting that he speaks in the plural, right, that our God has commanded us. So he's at first now revealing something about, up until now he was just that crazy guy who sent the money. Now she's getting some information about who he is. He's someone 
who's part of a nation, a nation that has a, has a relationship with a, a divine, with the God, and that that God requires some action of them, a mitzvah. But tzitzitzma, and that in the in the mitzvah is called tzitzit. And then he quotes her from the psukim. Interestingly, he doesn't quote the psukim, don't stray after your eyes, right? He says, the Pasuk says, Ani Hashem Elokechem, Shtei Pa'amim. Right? He's looking at the last verse there, Mem Aleph, that the, the verse had at the beginning of bookend and at the end, right? If I am Hashem, your God, it's said twice in the Pasuk. And then he gives a drasha. He says, Ani hu shatid vani hu shatid I, speaking the divine, says that in the future I am going to um, I'm going to uh, get my due. I'm gonna I'm gonna punish those who transgress, and also in the future I'm gonna be the one who um, who will pay reward um, depending on people's actions. And then he says, and right now these four corners of my garment are 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 seeming to me are appearing to me as four witnesses. It's interesting. I assume it has to be four. Usually we have two witnesses. Um, but uh, and so he sort of explains that um, he has an accounting to his God about his behavior. He's going to have to make an accounting. And from that moment, the story sort of changes. She realizes and she understands something about him. And she uses the same terminology she used before. I'm not going to let you go until you tell me. But this time, it's not about her body. It's not about her as a satchari. She actually now wants to know something about him as a person. What's your name? What's the name of the place you came from? What's the name of your teacher? What's the name of the place where you learned Torah? I like really want to get to know who are you? Um, where do you come from? Tell me about yourself. And then interestingly, he doesn't speak to her. He, the text says the following, He writes it down and he places it in her hand. Now, in the context of the story, at least for me, the imagery is one of, it, of very much intimacy. It seems to be the first moment when they touch in some way, where their two bodies meet. And it sounds like he's handing over something very precious. He doesn't want her to forget this information. He wants to give her a, a, a lasting, tangible form of who he is, and he hands it over to her. Um, and that's how that part reads. But what's interesting is that the language, Kitav and anyone who is familiar with the, with the Torah itself, um, it makes them think of the verses in the, in Devarim that discuss divorce, which is on source number four on your sheet. Um, the Pasuk is very clear. Um, it uses imagery that says, when a man marries a woman, acquires a woman, and she doesn't find favor in his eyes, right? Here's the complete opposite. This woman finds incredible, he finds her incredibly attractive. She does find favor in his eyes. But the verse is discussing divorce. What does he do? He writes for her uh, a bill of divorce, Vinatan Biada, and he places it in her hand. So there's something quite ironic here that the language, although it sounds very intimate and saying, I want to feel connected to you, is echoing imagery that is the imagery of, 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 of a breakage, of a divorce. And possibly maybe that's what he's saying to her. This is who I really am. I'm really a Ben Torah. I can't be with you. That's not possible for me. I, I'm handing you this in a, a butt. It's an ending between us. 
And, um, and although the text doesn't say it, he's gone. He leaves. He's not here in the story anymore. And instead of the, in the, in the Torah, when it's talking about divorce, she is sent from the husband's home and is divorced. Here he seems to leave her home. It's, it's not mentioned. And then we sort of zoom into her when she's left alone. And she is very moved by this. She seems to have a transformation. She gets up and she divides all her possessions. She must be a very, very wealthy woman. She gives a third as a bribe to the government. I'm not sure exactly why she needs to bribe the government. Maybe because she's leaving. Maybe she was, who knows, taxes. Third, she gives to poor. Didn't sound to me like she was the type of woman before this who was donating so much to the poor. This seems to be some type of transformation of thinking about others. And a third, she still keeps for herself. Including in this, she didn't give away all those bedding, that beautiful silver and gold bedding that she was going to bet him with. The sheets, she keeps. And then she goes, she must travel quite far away. She finds the town and where he's located. She shows up in the Beit Midrash. Amra lo. Rebbe Siva Ali Viasuni Gioret. She calls him Rebbe, like my teacher. I, I, I commanded on you. Um, I in, in, hear the English from the Kohen tradition uses instruct you, but Siva is a strong word to make me into a convert. And I, it, to me, it reminds me of the word of the mitzvah, of the tzitzit. Um, so out of the blue, beautiful woman showing up in the Beit Midrash, I want to be a convert. And he seems to understand immediately. Amar la, BT, he calls her a very kind word. Shema enech natat vechad min hatamidin. Is it possible? Now here, it's her eyes that are looking, seeking, seeing. Do you possibly, are you interested in one of my students? Um, he kind of gets the whole idea immediately. It's very interesting. What does she do? She take hotiak tav She takes out that paper that's imagining she's been clutching to her. It's worn. It's tattered. She's looked at it so many times. And now she hands it to him. So now the writing down of the paper and the handing over, I feel, is more like a tradition, a masora, passing down from one to another. And he immediately says, this is a little bit shocking. His language is jarring. Go and merit, go and take your mekach, your, your, your purchase, the thing you bought, the thing you're allowed to take. Um, meaning she can go and marry the, 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 the tamid, right? I'm not getting involved in, did she actually convert and can you convert just for marriage? You can learn what you want from the story. Um, here, too, the, the, the word Mekkah is so interesting because it reminds us of Sukim that were in Zvarim that I mentioned to you in source number four, right? It says, ki kach ishisha, that the, the word kicha, which we might find very jarring in the modern term, times is how we describe the man taking the woman in marriage, and here she is taking him. Um, and then it says, otan mataot shehetziu lo bisur, hitziu lo beheter. Those same sheets, that shame bedding that she um, she offered to him in in a prohibited fashion when she was a bizona, now she is offering to him in a permitted fashion, presumably because they are going to be husband and wife. 
זה מתן שכרו בעולם הזה, זה מעולם הבא איני יודע כמה. And then he says at the end, Rabbi Natan, who started this whole brighta, this is the reward he received in this world, I have no idea, can you imagine what he's going to receive in the next world? So, I just want to review a number of things, interesting things that happen in the story. There really seems to be a transformation of both the man and the woman in the story. Um, they go from a very extremely uh, impersonal, objectified relationship. He's the one with the money. She's the one with the, with the body and the sex. Um, they, they, they were too, nudity was meeting nudity in the most lustful way. And then they are transformed into humanized, into, and personalized and sort of regain their personal dignity. And you see these, these transformation in a number of ways. He's first called, he's just referred to as the Adam. We know him as that guy who was careful about his tzitzis, that guy who paid 400, uh, gold coins, but then he is transformed into a person that has a name, which is interesting. We, as the reader of the story, don't know the name. It's still privately written on her piece of paper. We just know of him as a student of Rabbi Chia, and maybe that really is his identity, that in the end he, he's trying to be a Ben Torah who's committed to mitzvot. Um, he's someone who starts out that just goes lust after his heart desire, just this anonymous woman with reputation, he's willing to travel so far, and he originally sees her as just an object, but then later on sees her as the person who she is, um, when they're both sitting down low on the ground, right, they, st- they start up, up high, or he starts at the, he, he goes on a little highs and lows, he's sitting on the petach at the opening, he goes up to the top of the bed, and then he's sitting on the floor again, um, but he sees her for, for who she is, finally, um, and um, She too, I feel like, goes through a transformation. She, she first um, sees herself as an object and is concerned with her own beauty and what's matter with me, and then, then switches and says, wait, I want to know something about you. What's your identity? Who are you? Um, she um, originally was, uh, it, if you look at the wording, there's so many words that repeat. Natla, she, she, she uh, was... was taking 400 uh, gold coins, but then she takes from her belongings a shlish when she has a transformation and she's giving it away. Um, the, the word uh, mekach is so the business, right? She starts out getting money as a prostitute and then she her mekach is seeking him out in the Beit Midrash and, and marrying him. Uh, it's also very interesting, this idea of schar in the whole story. that uh, she originally, the schar, he was paying $400, and she was receiving this money. But then when we quote the verse, it's God who wants the schar mitzvah. In the end, he's going to get paid the, the, the reward of com- performing the mitzvah in a serious way. And, and she, too, I think, is going to benefit from that. Um, and so they are both uh, transformed. And right there's so many, there, she goes from prostitute to wife. They go from up to down. They go from... prohibited relationship to permitted relationship. Um, and so what's very interesting, I'll just sort of close with this idea that I find so interesting. Um, we, we see um, at the core of the story, the personalization, the, 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 the identity that he has between the Jew and, and the divine. And the idea of doing mitzvot and giving an identity based on personal relationship between 
the Jewish people and the divine. And right in those bookends of I am the Lord, your guard in the middle is, and I took you out of me trying, right? Which is the most sort of the basis of our intimate personal relationship and why we are doing these mitzvot in the first place. And, um, What's so interesting about the mitzvah of tzitzit is that we're not supposed to lust after our eyes and uh, and our hearts. And we're supposed to be kiddushim, but the, the message that the rabbis give in the story isn't that sexual attraction is bad. And it isn't that I can't be attracted to a person and desire to be intimate with them. The message seems to be that if that's the sole basis, if my goal is just the object objectification of sex and the objectification of the other without knowing them personally in any way, shape, or form. That is what is the opposite of holiness. But once I get to know someone intimately, when I can sit on the ground naked before them and really speak to them and really understand who they are and where they're coming from and what their identity is, that is the place where where two people can meet intimately and there's a basis for a relationship. Um, and so it seems to be that uh, if we want to take this uh, story a little bit as a model for what the rabbis are telling us, um, they use tzitzit as a model for remembering the most intimate relationship between the divine and um, the Jewish people. And we should mirror that intimacy based on relationship and connection when we, our hearts and our eyes seek partners. And it's not that we need to deny those. It just shouldn't be in low, uh, it shouldn't be done by asher zonim acharehem, but rather it should be done in kedusha of seeing another person for who they are in their personal dignity. Shabbat shalom. Thank you, Ralph, for this. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode of Pardes from Jerusalem.